Rev it up and welcome to Cars Yeah, show number 2148. Today we're going to be talking about racing, so buckle up and be prepared to be inspired. This is Cars Yeah, where you'll enjoy interviews with inspiring automotive enthusiasts. Mark Green is here to provide you with a fuel injection of automotive inspiration. So get in, sit down, buckle up, and get ready for a wild ride here on Cars Yeah. Hello, inspiring automotive enthusiasts, and welcome to Cars Yeah. Today I'm in Boca Raton, Florida, with a very special guest by the name of Brad McCall. Brad, welcome to Cars Yeah. Do you have any gear, and are you ready to release the clutch? We're ready to go. Let's launch. Yeah, I think so. You're always ready to go. This world of yours, a very busy world of yours. And before I give you a proper introduction and we dive into the corner uh, much faster, what's one little thing that most people may not know about you? Well, I grew up at the racetrack. I grew up in the paddock as a little kid roaming around places I probably shouldn't have been. But uh, my dad started racing when I was a little kid. And that's where I grew up. I grew up around racers and around crew. And uh, every single race weekend ended with the exact same line from my father. As we're getting close to home, he'd say, just don't tell your mother. <laughs> and it's, it's not that I was getting into trouble. It's just that I was doing things that a preteen probably shouldn't have been doing. I was around things that were probably a little too advanced for me. You know, doing handbrake turns on a dirt road with Jack Baldwin. Those things, <laughs> you know, an 11-year-old kid probably shouldn't be learning those things. But I did, and I had a great time. And it was an amazing childhood, and it formed me into the person that I am today. Well, pretty fortunate. And what dad has not said that to his child on the way home? <laughs> For sure. Yeah, I think I've said that a few times as well to my son. Well, we'll have some fun and you've definitely have some fun uh, every day in, in your life. Brad McCall is the founder and co-owner of Round Three Racing, a semi-professional endurance racing team that offers arrive and drive opportunities as well as partnering with brands including Haggerty, Cooper Tires, and shift up now. All brands you've heard here on the show. Brad is president of American Equipment Company, a railroad equipment supplier. He works with his father, Buzz McCall, no doubt the guy who incorporated him into the racing world, uh, who drove in IMSA in the 80s and owned American Equipment Racing, where they ran in Trans Am and NASCAR's Bush and Winston Cup Series. What a childhood. Brad grew up in the paddock racing go-karts and started Round 3 Racing in 2012, transitioning in 2019 to endurance racing. In 2021, his team was the subject of a TV show on Motor Trend TV titled The Drive Within, where they followed his team in the 2021 WRL season, ending in a national championship in GP3. Congratulations. That's very cool. We'll be back in just a moment, but first a word from our sponsor. So give them a little listen. They're the reason we're here today, and we'll be right back. Since down your Ford party behind us, we're going racing. Summer's here, thank goodness, and that means long, hot days. Covercraft's UVS custom sunscreens are quality-made and are incredibly fast and easy to use. Your UVS sunscreen is custom-tailored for your vehicle, and the accordion design ensures easy storage. Not only do they protect your dash and interior for maximum protection while parking in the sun, sunscreens keep your vehicle's interior significantly cooler. They're durable and dependable for years of use. I have one for all my vehicles 
and I use them every time I park my car when I'm not going to put the cover on. You can choose from a variety of colors, including the original, their Premier Series, and Carhartt designs. Your sunscreen is manufactured with the quality and attention to detail that's been the standard for Covercraft since 1965. And they make really great gifts, too. Get your summer deal today if you use the code YEAH21, Y-E-A-H-21, at Covercraft.com. You'll get 10% off your Covercraft order. That's right, 10% off compliments of cars, yeah. Simply use the code YEAH21 at checkout. Covercraft, protecting the things that move you. Get your own custom sunscreen today. I was tired of my rates for my collector car insurance going up every year for no explainable reason. My carrier seemed to be turning into a media company versus an insurance company, and I realized that a portion of my policy premium was paying for all those so-called free media goodies. So I did my homework, I talked to knowledgeable collectors, shopped around, and discovered American Collectors Insurance. They've been serving the collector car hobby since 1976. You last that long by properly serving your customers' insurance need, not with a lot of fluff. ACI is ranked the number one online collector car insurance provider according to Google, Trustpilot, Facebook, and they offer their real person guarantee live support. No never-ending phone loops when you need help. Plus, because you don't use your classic car as a daily driver, you could save up to 40% compared to regular auto insurance. American Collectors Insurance provides agreed value policies. So if you experience a total loss to your collector vehicle or it's stolen, you'll be paid the amount listed on your declaration page, less any deductibles, of course. No ifs, ands, or buts. Give them a call today and ask for your free quote at 866-A-C-I-Y-E-A-H. That's 866-224-9324. Tell them you're a friend of mine, Mark Greens, at Cars Yeah. American Collectors Insurance, classic car insurance designed by collectors for collectors. Jim Canova is a past guest here on Cars Yeah, and he's detailed over 8,000 vehicles. And that kind of professional experience leads to innovation. He was tired of uncomfortable stools and creepers and being down on his knees when detailing cars. So as a result, Jim thought, you know what, there must be a better way. And he invented the Bumby Seat. His unique design gets you off your knees and your bum onto a far more comfortable seating position for all your low-level automotive detailing. The Bumby seat, with its patented full-flat design, allows you to adjust your position to the task at hand. Convenient side trays hold your car care products, tools, cloths, or a tasty beverage. Built for the toughest driveways and garage tasks, the Bumby seat has wheels that roll easily over almost any surface, and it makes a great around-the-home adjustable stool for hobbies, yard work, or take it to the car show. The full-flat design makes storage a breeze. Jim has launched an Indiegogo fundraiser, and you can get in on the start of what's sure to be an industry favorite. Go to Indiegogo.com and type in Bumby Seat, that's B-U-M-B-E-E, Seat, to be one of the first in line to start improving your automotive detailing experience today. That's Bumby Seat on the Indiegogo.com website. And when you're on the Indiegogo website, be sure to take advantage of the Cars Yes Specials. There's two offers there that you can get 17 or 22% off thanks to Cars Yeah. Get your Bumby seat today. 
So Brad, as I always like to say, we're going to dive a little deeper in the corner into your world. Now, you have this business around railroad equipment, your uh, vocation, avocation. You've been created part of a vocation. I mean, you're juggling a lot of balls and spinning a lot of plates, as they say. Round three racing, when you decided to venture into this, uh, aside from your history with your dad and being a kid, what was the premise of getting this thing started? And of course, we love endurance racing here. I think that's one of the funnest things about racing. Yeah, for sure. It all goes back to when I was 12 years old. So I was 12 years old. My dad flew me out to California and we went to the Jim Hall III racing school. It was a go-kart school out in California. And I did great. And at the end, Jim was all excited and he wanted to get me involved in karting. And my dad turned to me and said, do you like that? I said, yeah, I loved it. He said, you want to go racing? I said, yeah, I want to race. He said, you can do it when you can pay for it yourself. <laughs> Smart dad. <laughs> that really, that set the tone for the rest of my life, basically. So I never, I never drove from 12 years old through all that time when he had Trans Am teams and Scott Sharp, who's just a few years older than me, is driving oh the car. Wow. I mean, that was so tough watching that happen and not being involved, but he never, ever let me drive. And uh, in 2012, I finally had the money to go do it myself. And my friend and I bought a couple race cars and we started the team, started round three racing and, and I drove an SCCA and uh, I did that for a while. And all the while, my father had gotten back into driving again. He was in uh, World Challenge driving with his old teammate, Jack Baldwin. So when he was sort of done with the World Challenge thing, he left and he joined me at Round Through Racing. And we did the SCCA sprint racing for a while. We did that, the club racing around the country. And uh, in 2019, we decided it was time to go back to our roots and get back into endurance racing. We had done the 24 hours of VIR together and loved it so much. And as we're driving back to the airport completely exhausted we both said this is what we want to do we want to get back into endurance racing and we started the team and it just it took off faster than i ever could have imagined and uh we're running a four car program now with gt4 cars and got a full shop got full-time employees and it's it's really really ramped up and then the tv show it, it just uh it created something I, I never could have imagined you know this is pretty cool and your dad is as you know amazing guy because to say those words to you at that time i'm sure part of him was just like oh gosh this, this kid's got some talent this is his passion what he wants to do but there's a right way to do this and maybe a not so right way to do this and that transitionary period of him really forcing you to work for it i mean when things are handed to us it's so different and we don't work as hard and i, I would assume looking back now that was probably painful but you realize now what he was really doing Oh, absolutely. hundred percent. And, uh, he says it all the time. He says, maybe I made a mistake. Maybe I should have let you race. And I confirm that he made the right decision. I said, listen, you, you put me on a path to get an education, to build a career. Maybe I would have had the talent to be a racer, but I would have struggled like a lot of these races. I, I, I watch pro racers who struggle to make money. And, and now the, the way racing has become what it has become, it, it's not a situation where pro racers have a lot of opportunities. It's a, uh, it's a rich man's game. And, it's it's really, really changed. And 100% my dad made the right decision by not putting me on a path to race. It hurt me personally because I really wanted to do it. Well, but course. looking back now, he made the right decision. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. I want you to touch just a little bit, though, on your railroad business because I want to learn a little bit. Here's something. It goes down the track fast, but in a very different way. Uh, but what is that business all about? How did you get into that? Yeah, the other thing that little boys say growing up and little girls do, too. I want to play with trains. Right. And uh, 
my dad was always in this business. So my dad's been in the business since early 70s. He joined this company. And uh, this company has been around for 75 years called American Equipment Company. And we represent mostly U.S. manufacturers and we sell their goods internationally. So it's a lot of maintenance machinery, uh, a lot of railroad systems, spare parts, that type of thing. But 100% international. We don't sell anything in the U.S. So it's uh, it's definitely an interesting business. Get to see some pretty wild parts of the world. Uh, everybody says, oh, you went to this place. He said, yeah, but the railroad is never in the nicest part no, of that country. No, it's always in the middle of nowhere or the worst part of town, right? <laughs> exactly. So I've, I've had some interesting travels, and my dad has stories that go on for days about international travel. But uh, just in the last few years, I mean, the pandemic really put a halt to it. And I haven't been outside of the country on a business trip in over two years. So we're just getting ramped back up to do that. This business is what affords us the ability to go racing. And uh, I've been doing this now for over 20 years. And um, it's fun. It's a it's a enjoyable business. And anytime I tell people I'm in the international railroad business, they say, well, you're the first person I've ever heard that does that. Yeah. So it's, it's pretty unique. And um, like everything else, it's a changing world and we have to adapt to it. And that's part of my goal for the next 20 years of my life in this business. Well, you think of the railroad, I mean, it moves so much so many goods and people too but mostly just goods and you know you think about these railroad cars you see them traveling with they're like miles long and they have coal in them you know and they're bringing power to places and it's uh it's something like this kind of out of sight out of mind but without it i mean this country really opened up because of the railroad that's what started everything and, and i think it was probably the same for every country in the world without the railroad uh advancements wouldn't have happened uh, goods wouldn't have been moved people wouldn't have been moved as fast i guess the way it is i've always wondered when will the railroad go electric will that happen with the push with ev have you in your insider's world is that being discussed yeah, in many parts of the world, it is electric. So like in South Africa, for instance, they have huge, big, unbelievable freight trains, and they're all electric. They have what's called overhead catenary, okay. and those are electric lines that go over. So those don't run on diesel. Those are fully electric locomotives. And um, the locomotives that we see running around here in the U.S., the diesel locomotive, it's called a diesel electric. So it's powering, it's turning a generator that's turning uh, traction motors, electric traction motors. And the same can be done with an electric train. They run the overhead power or like a subway. You'll see a lot of subways have a third rail. Right. That third rail is providing power to the, the traction motors. The biggest issue in the U.S., and people ask about it all the, all the time, why don't we have high-speed rail? Why don't we have electric trains? And it's because our infrastructure was never designed for that. You know, Europe was designed for it. You go over and you run on these, these high-speed trains in Germany and France. You're mostly running down in a ditch. You're not going across what we call a grade-level crossing. And those are the crossings where cars are going across. If you ever go over to Europe and you run those trains, you barely ever see cars. You never see interaction between trains and cars where the train is running at high speed. That's the big difference in the U.S. We would have to create that type of in infrastructure. And uh, what we're seeing in Florida right now, we have this Brightline train and the instances of that train hitting people, cars, it's off the charts because we're just not designed for it. It's running through these downtowns where we have all these crossings, and it just was never designed for high-speed rail. So while it's a great idea and it's an amazing way of moving people and moving goods, quite frankly, in other countries, it's going to take a tremendous investment from our government to modify our infrastructure to be able to do that. Wow, fascinating. Well, I've been on high-speed trains in Europe and uh, the bullet trains uh, in Europe and also in Japan. 
And you're kind of, you're right. Now that I think about it, you're not around cars. You know, you just, you're just, and you're going so fast. Uh, anybody that was in a crossing would never even see the train coming. I mean, it was just, yeah, incredible speed. Fascinating, fascinating. Well, let's get back to racing. It sounds like to me, a mentor, or the mentor in your life was involved in racing was probably your dad. Absolutely. I mean, it's it's the easy answer. Everybody asks, who's your hero? Who's your inspiration racing? My dad is the easy answer. While AJ Foyt was a fun guy to look up to and a fun, <laughs> fun racer to follow, it was definitely my dad. It was always my dad. When we get into the kind of racing that you're doing, can you talk a little bit about uh, what kind of cars you're running, what kind of racing that you're doing? Because endurance racing is one of those fun things for me. I did some vintage racing, and usually at the end of the weekend, they would do what's called an endurance race. Instead of a 15, 20-minute race, it would be a two-hour, not like you know a 12-hour Sebring or 24-hour Le Mans or something. But I always liked those better because it took a while to get into the groove. And then once you're in there, it just was fun just to run. Is that why endurance racing has you've been attracted to that well when my dad first started imsa he was doing the endurance races he started off doing the three hour he used to have a three hour race at daytona and then he did the 24 hours and he was doing the 12 hours of sebring and i was always fascinated with those races and what it took but you look back in those days in the 80s cars would win by 20 30 40 laps i mean there were never really any close races because the attrition was unbelievable. I mean, those cars were always breaking. You were always doing mid-race repairs. Today, the cars are so advanced that you have a, a mid-race incident like that, you're done. You're out of the race. You're not going to win it. It wasn't like that back in the 80s. And when I started racing, I, I did the sprint races, but I also did SCCA's version of endurance races. They were 90-minute races with a pit stop in there. That was fun. You did it by yourself. You got out of the car for the pit stop, got back in, but it wasn't like what we're doing now. So what we're doing now is in a series called WRL, the World Racing League. And a typical weekend in WRL is an eight-hour race on Saturday and an eight-hour race on Sunday. We do have some one-day 14-hour races. We did a 24-hour race, the first ever 24-hour race at Sebring last wow. year. Oh, wow. We thought that was insane, but it worked out better than anybody ever could have dreamed. But in WRL, it's People have found people have found WRL, quite frankly. In the last two years, people have discovered this racing and discovered this series, and it's taken off faster and further than anybody expected, even the owners of WRL and the top class. It has five classes in WRL. It has GTO, which is primarily like GT4 cars. Mm -hmm. uh, it's based on power-to-weight ratio, so it's a 9-to-1 power-to-weight ratio. And then from there, it goes to GTU. GTU is like a smaller prototype type of car. It's those uh, Sebeco MP01 cars. And then we have three classes of general production cars, GP1, 2, and 3. And those are all based on power-to-weight ratio. So GP1 is the fastest of that. We have uh, one of those cars, had two, but now we're down to one. And uh, then we have a GP3 car, which is the slowest class in WRL. But these races, they, they're eight hours, typically eight hours long. And... Um, you know, in the heat of the summer and sometimes the cold of the winter. We ran one race at Mid-Ohio this year and it was snow. There was snow on the ground and what? snow on the track when we started the race. And um, we bowed out one of our cars. It just, it wasn't going to be, uh, it wasn't going to be a smart idea to run one of our Caymans in oh. that race. But our two, we have two BMW M4 GT4s. Oh, nice. And both of those cars started that race, ran that race and ran up front. It was, it was a wild, wild experience. But yeah, the, the front of the GTO field in WRL right now is, I mean, somebody said recently, you take the top five cars on the grid, there's a million dollars right there. It's GT4 cars. You got M4 GT4s. You got Porsche Caymans. We got Aston Martins. 
Uh, we got TCR cars. It's incredible how fast that series has grown um, to the point where they're going to have to expand. They're going to have to. They're going to have to find a way to fill this demand. Are the manufacturers of those vehicles? Because you think of all of those as street cars. I know they're the racing version, but street cars. I have a M3 in my garage. I'm seriously considering a Cayman as my next Porsche. I've always had 911s, but I just. Something about that configuration is cool. Um, and then you think even about the, the street version of these things. I mean, these all these cars just in the street version are so darn fast. So are manufacturers getting heavily involved in that? They The, the manufacturers are involved, uh, let's say, on the on the professional end. So the two, the two BMWs that we own, they are factory-built race cars. Those are M4 GT4s. Those are the same ones that run an IMSA, the same ones that run an SRO, same ones that run over in Europe. A lot of those GT4 cars have made it over here and, and gone into these amateur. We would probably classify WRL as semi-professional at this point. A lot of those cars are factory-built cars. The rest of the field are cars that enthusiasts like our team, uh, other builders, have built themselves. So our Cayman started life as a 987. It started life as a, a streetcar 987, it, and it was converted into a race car. You know, cage, all the rest of the stuff. But to build that into an endurance car is significantly more work than a sprint car. And I'll give you a perfect example. My dad, when he joined uh, World Challenge, he raced in a, a Porsche Cayman. We still own it today. It's the first Porsche Cayman to ever win a professional race anywhere in the world. It won wow. the 2012 Long Beach Grand Prix with Jack Baldwin. And my dad joined, he started driving that car. And he once he retired from World Challenge, brought it over to SCCA. And we eventually brought it to run in WRL. Now, that car went from running 50-minute races to trying to run an eight-hour race. And we discovered very quickly that that car was designed as a sprint racing car, not an endurance car. We said many times last year, if that car, if the races were four hours long, we'd have won most of them. Eight hours long, we didn't win any of them. Just too long. Just too long. And that car just took a beating and it, uh, it just wasn't ready for those long races. It was designed as a sprint car. Yeah. Very interesting. So you were on Motor Trend TV's The Drive Within. That was a great series. And what's interesting about these TV series and the one they did with the F1, uh, which blew up F1 here in the U.S. I mean, now my daughter's actually interested in F1 racing now. I, my whole life I watched F1. She'd never wanted to look at the TV. Now she'll say, dad, what do you think about that race today? And I'm like, I didn't even watch it. Sorry. Like what? (laughs) She knows the drivers. So the drive within did kind of the same thing. It gets kind of inside the heads and the worlds of people. And I think that's why that F1 series worked. It it exposes the personal side of people's racing. How'd you guys get involved with that? And what did it do for you? Well, it was a discussion that started a few years ago, actually. Uh, we were approached about doing a reality show, and uh, it just sort of died for a little while. Probably COVID didn't help. And uh, when we were approached again at the end of 2020, they brought the idea to us, and, and it was really based on the idea around the F1 show. But when they said to us, they said, listen, we want this to be 100% real. Nothing is scripted. Nothing is planted. This is just really following your team. And, and quite frankly, I was worried. I'm like, how are we going to create the drama? I mean, you know, what if we go out and just win all these races? I mean, that's not very exciting. Well, I <laughs> never, ever should have said that yeah. because the drama followed us real quickly. And I mean, every every single event last year was there was something fantastic for the show. And um, when they filmed the first episode at Road America, it was only filmed as a what they call a 22 minute show it would have filled 30 minutes half of hour slot, a, yeah. half hour slot. And right away, the producer said, this needs to be an hour show. There's no way 
we can make this into a 22 minute show. And, and I saw the first cut of the 22 minute show. And I was like, yeah, this needs to be an hour long show. So they got it approved, got it recut. That's why the first episode is a little, it doesn't look like it fits quite right with the rest of the series it's because they filmed it as a 22 minute show and then had to make it into an hour time slot so they did a great job with it the the crew was amazing but the amount of drama that followed us last year was amazing and people ask hey you know was was that all real and i tell everybody i was only given five words to say in the entire time for that entire show i was welcomed around through racing (laughs) that was was the first words i said on the show after that Everything was unscripted. Wow! And um, it was a, it was a wonderful experience. The team from Motor Trend was spectacular. Haggerty's support was amazing. The only thing that I wish is that it was promoted better and mm-hmm. that it was put out there to a, a, a larger audience. Um, you know, it was never really promoted much on Motor Trend TV. People didn't know about it unless they read about it online or you know yeah. saw it on somebody's Facebook post. And I can't tell you how many people contact us and say, when's there going to be a season two? Why isn't there a season two? And uh, I really wish there was. And I wish more people got to see it maybe on a bigger platform because everybody says it was the most realistic look into endurance racing that's ever been on put it been put on tv yeah well, uh, because it was it was absolutely every every bit of it was was totally real and a lot of a lot of drama <laughs> well it's good and because a lot of the tv shows automotive specifically they have to build drama in and it just becomes ridiculous and i always well i enjoyed some but you sit back and look at them and go nobody would run a business like that i mean throwing wrenches at employees come on calm down you don't do that so uh well congratulations that's cool we'll take a short break we come back want to talk about uh challenge speaking of challenges so keep the seatbelts on and we'll be right back i've teamed up with auto geek because Well, they've been the leading source of auto detailing products, accessories for more than 20 years. Their Pinnacle Sovereign Paste Wax is specially formulated from Brazilian Carnuba Wax. It's easy to apply on any paint surface and provides that warm glow that we love, especially me on my vehicles. You're going to love it too. A favorite of car shows countrywide, Pinnacle Sovereign Paste Wax from AutoGeek wipes on easily, requires no drying time, is easy to remove, and provides up to 90 days of protection against damaging environmental contaminants. This wax is designed to exceed the standards of the most discriminating enthusiasts and collectors. Go to autogeek.net to get yours for the best product selection on the internet today, along with their very skilled technical support. Autogeek.net. That's where I go for all my detailing needs. That's autogeek.net. I've discovered Linkage. It's a new quarterly publication and website that covers the automotive market Driving, restoring, collecting, and discovering your passion for motor vehicles. Linkage is about experiences, opinions, and values. Linkage is an actual, informed, reasoned opinion based on first-hand experiences. A talented Linkage team covers the automotive world, the people who share your passion and mine, smart, considered, rational, and experienced opinions. Ones you can learn from and grow. That includes our passion that drives auctions and the collector car market. So come with me and join us on this journey. And be sure to use the code CARSYEAH when you subscribe and they'll give you $10 off. Boom! Linkage, geared for the automotive life. Subscribe today at LinkageMag.com. You know what? We are all wired differently and not everyone needs to go to a four-year university. 
technical education, and the skilled trades matter. And one can build a solid career as an auto, diesel, or collision technician. There are no longer blue-collar jobs. They're new-collar careers as the technology and skill sets have become so advanced. Support career and technical education by getting involved with TechForce Foundation. It's a Cars Yeah charity of choice. Learn more at techforce.org. So let's talk about this challenge question that I asked all my guests. Uh, racing, oh my gosh, pick one. There's thousands of them. But this could be something in your life, something in racing, something in who knows where. But it's more important to talk about what it taught you, if you can move forward in a positive way. You know, I thought about this one a lot. And this is a tough question to answer. I mean, I, I yeah. really thought about all the things and I thought about racing and everything that would be applicable to this this show and this career. And But I think back, there was one trip in my life, a business trip, where I faced a couple challenges. I faced two big challenges on this trip, both of them terrifying. And both of them, I tell these stories to family all the time. And, and it was two scary instances. One of them would be way too long to tell on this show, but I'll tell, tell you how the, the trip started and what, what happened at the beginning. I was flying to Nairobi, Kenya, my first trip to Kenya on a business trip. And I arrive at the airport and make a real long story short, the airport is very, very small. The terminal is very small. And I wait and wait and people are leaving and the person who's supposed to pick me up is not there. And you don't just get a taxi in Nairobi. You have somebody, there needs to be somebody there to pick you up. So make a really long story short, the hotel, I finally get in touch with the hotel and they say, listen, uh, the guy is not coming. Uh, you'll have to find a ride with somebody. What? There had been a guy there approaching me hey you know i'll take you i'll take you to this place you know don't worry and i mean i was terrified and what you learn in this international travel is don't ever leave the terminal yeah. unless you have a way so i had no choice at this point i i went to another office and tried to find a ride there was no other option i had to get in the car with this guy so he pulls around and now there's another guy in the car with him and i'm i'm thinking to myself man i've made a huge mistake i've you know this is the end for me so i'm in the back seat of the car and this is Right when WhatsApp came out, I'm sending messages to my wife like, hey, I'm really sorry. I've made a big mistake. You know, tell the kids I love them. Oh, my gosh. I got tears in my eyes. And and we're driving. And while we're driving, the guy is saying, oh, you see this bird over here? This is native to Kenya and blah, blah, blah. And you see these trees over here? This guy's giving me a tour as we're driving. He's like, there's the Canadian embassy. And I'm thinking, if this guy's going to kill me, why is he giving me a tour of Nairobi? So we pull into the, we finally pull into this area and he drops me off at the hotel and I run in and I (laughs) I yell at the person behind the desk. And I'm usually not an angry person. I say, you go pay this guy. I got tears in my eyes. And I mean, I thought it was the end while this guy, this guy was literally just trying to help me out. Whoa. So in the end, I mean, I, I learned, you know, not every situation is what you think it is. There are a lot of good people out there. Sometimes you just got to trust somebody. You know, trust your instincts, but sometimes you just got to lay it out there and, and put faith in another human being. Um, it was a tough one to swallow. And I think back to that and it was a terrifying experience. But, you know, a good guy came out to help me and a good guy gave me a ride. And, yeah. <laughs> so who was the other guy in the car? I have no idea. You have no idea. <laughs> the guy, I think he was just the guy's buddy. He just sat there. He didn't speak. Maybe he didn't speak English. But um, yeah, the trip, the trip. Went kind of downhill after that. Oh, yeah. oh wow! It was another crazy story from that trip, but yeah. but that's that's the uh, the portion of the trip where I learned a pretty big lesson about about mankind and yeah. If you travel a lot, I used to travel a lot internationally, and a few times I ended up in situations that 
I you go, oh, what am I doing? But I tell you, the scariest one ever was when I went to Chicago the first time and ended up walking around. I thought I had a half a day under walking around. I ended up in the wrong part of town. I had no idea. Thank goodness a cop walks around the corner and looks at me and goes, what are you doing here? And I said, I'm visiting on a business trip. And he goes, you are in the wrong neighborhood, son. He goes, get in my car. And he drove me back to my hotel. <laughs> and on the way, he said, you need to be more careful. Uh, you probably wouldn't have made it out if you're alive. I'm like, what? You know, dumb little kid from Southern California, you know, <laughs> used, used to beach community, people surfing and stuff. <laughs> Incredible. Well, let's talk about a special vehicle in your life. You've had a lot of cool race cars. No doubt you've had some fun cars. Is there one vehicle, could be one of your race cars, that really stands out for you? You know, it's another interesting question. I'm, I'm one of those guys. I... I appreciate the drive more than the car itself. I, I like I like the actual act of driving, and you know, as I might I think I mentioned to you in my my email to you that everything to me is a race. You know, whether I'm just racing against the predictive <laughs> timer on Google Maps that tells me <laughs> there you go. you're going to yeah. get there at twelve thirty, and I get there at twelve twenty two. I've done that. <laughs> <I> yeah, <won. laughs> yeah. I've had a, I've had some cool cars. I've had some pretty lame cars, and my first race car that I bought was a X pro celebrity challenge car, Toyota Celica that raced out long beach grand prix. And that was a, a cool car that had some big celebrities drive it. But, um, probably my favorite car is that actually the car I drive is a daily right now. It's a, uh, 2016 Chevy SS that's rebadged with all the Holden stuff. So, I mean, it looks, people come up, it looks like a Holden. It's got some engine work done to it. It's got about 500 horsepower at the wheels. It's got a, fairly aggressive but streetable cam so it sits there and rumbles at the light and gets lots of looks but that one's fun to drive six speed manual and uh, i'm having a lot of fun with that car that that one's going to be tough for me to let go well i always say you know a, a lot of people cars are just utilitarian a way to get from here to there but I, I can't do that i've got to have something fun that the look back when you get out of it and you walk away you turn around thank the car and just go that was fun that was enjoyable so yeah that ss sounds like that car for you so i'm going to be your car psychologist today probably something nobody's ever done with you before i'm going to crawl into your head a little bit if you were reincarnated pun intended manifest as a car not what you want to be but how you perceive the man in the mirror what would you be more importantly why this one is actually kind of easy to answer i'd be a pickup truck a pickup truck i've heard i this would be before. a pickup <laughs> um i'm a hard worker and I'm usually the first one to let people borrow me for help. Um, but probably not just any pickup. It'd probably be like an old Chevy square body with probably repowered with some big power, you know, fast for an old guy. Yeah, <laughs> fast for an old I don't know. You're not looking too old for my side of the fence. So I think you're doing fine. You know, I always like to ask people how they like to give back, how they like to help, uh, specifically in the automotive sector, but it could be in other aspects of your world. Is there something like that for you? Yeah, right now, myself and Round Through Racing, we're partnered with a group called Shift Up Now. And Shift Up Now is a group uh, founded by women, and it's to promote the involvement of women in motorsports. Mm -hmm. And back in 2019, I met the founder of Shift Up Now, Lynn Kehoe, and we struck up an immediate friendship. And I mean, it was a it was a match made in heaven from right away. I mean, I have three daughters. I've always promoted women in sports. And I've always been a big proponent of that. And right away, we started a friendship and we started this project together. And since 2019, we've had seven shift up now drivers on our team. We've had women in our cars at every single event since our first one was shift up now. And at our next race, VIR, we're going to welcome our eighth shift up now driver. Isla Agrin is going to join us. But we've had we've had Lonnie Unser from day one. 
had Sarah Montgomery, uh, we've had Hannah Grisham, Shay Holbrook, Pippa Mann, and uh, it's been so enjoyable to have these women on our team, not only from the standpoint of just having them around and their personalities and what they add to us, but they're incredible drivers. Yeah. Sarah Montgomery is a talent. I mean, she's a true, true talent in a race car. She's sat on the pole at many of these WRL events. She's set fast lap of the weekend at many of these events. Uh, Lonnie Unser, she has an incredibly bright future ahead of her. All these women, they're very talented. And if we can give them an opportunity, we can give them a springboard to take it to the next level. Man, I've I've done my job. I've, I've made myself very happy in this industry. So that that is one that makes me very proud and something that I hope to continue for a long time. Well, that's very cool. Lynn was a guest back in 2019 on the show, and she's since introduced me to many of those women drivers, uh, Lonnie and others that you've mentioned that have been guests here on the show. I think I've had maybe close to 500 women now. I mean, a lot of women on the show here, and many of them racers. Lynn St. James has been on the show four times. I think she's the only person, maybe. I think the other this is interesting. I think the other person that's been on four times would be Sandra Button, who runs the Pebble Beach Concourse. So, uh, yeah, women in the automotive sector have really come on strong more and more. And the week that we're doing this recording for you, uh, two women are guests on the show this week. So, uh, yeah, it's pretty cool. I think it's great. And having uh, women in your life, young women, uh, daughters, and I've got a daughter of my own, it's great to see that happening in that world opening up. My my wife, when we met, was an engineer in college, and I think it was only two women graduates that year in college that were engineers. Um, so the world is a lady's oyster, as they say, to go out there and do whatever they want, and racing is definitely becoming that. And typically women are lighter than men, so there's an advantage too, right? <laughs> For sure. Well, it's, it's funny. When I was a little kid, my dad was on a radio show. We didn't have podcasts back then. We had radio shows. He's on a radio show about racing. And during the show, he asked. they asked him to ask a trivia question. Okay. And the, the caller, the, whoever called in with the answer was going to win something. So he asked the question, and the question was, who was the first woman to go 200 miles per hour on a closed course? And my face lights up. I'm like, I know the answer. I know the answer. I got to call in. So they go through the next session, the next segment of the show. Nobody calls in. So I'm like, I'm calling. I'm a little kid. I call in. So right when I answer, my dad is looking at the the guy in the radio. going, hey, cut it off. It's my son. That's it's my, my son. son. Yeah, so insider like, trading. <laughs> and I said, I answer. I go, Lynn St. James. And they're like, yeah, absolutely right. I've all, to this day, I still use that trivia question. I did a, a podcast before. I still use that trivia question. question. I love it. I think it probably set the tone for how I approach racing. And it, probably another one of the reasons it puts a big smile on my face to have these women involved. And, and Lynn has been involved with us as well. We've had a lot of communication with her, and she's a wonderful person and supports what we're doing. Well, you speak of trivia, the first woman to go on a, a road drive, a, a long-distance road drive. The first person was a woman, Bertha Benz. You know, kind of snuck her, her husband's car out of the garage. And <laughs> I think she brought a son or two with her and they went on a little road trip. Nobody had ever done that. And my mom was here, just here visiting. And she said, hey, do you know who the first woman was to go on a cross-country road trip? And she was looking through something and found this woman. I, I feel bad. I don't know the name right now off the top of my head. But she took three other women with her and they drove all the way across the country. I think it was 1902 or something or 1911, something like that. And uh, you see them in their big dusters and their hats and driving across the country. And yeah, uh, pretty, pretty darn cool. So uh, women are coming on strong. How about a great a book you'd like to share with us today? Well, 
I haven't been the biggest book reader in my life, but I have read some good ones. And The Art of Racing in the Rain, obviously. <laughs> I mean, that's probably the easiest answer for yeah. a racer. But I love that book. I loved it. When the movie came out, I loved the movie, but I loved the book more. But um, what I, what I, when anybody asks me about a book, I just think about one moment reading a book. And I was reading The Perfect Storm. And I, I, I can remember, I can take myself back to the exact moment when I was reading this part in The Perfect Storm because I love the ocean. I love being underwater in the ocean. I love snorkeling and scuba diving. And there is a section in the book where Sebastian Younger talks about drowning. And he goes into detail about drowning, what it's like. And I'm reading it and all of a sudden I I'm, I'm find myself, I'm hyperventilating. I mean, like really, really badly hyperventilating because I put myself in the situation. I put myself into the drowning because I had had a close call drowning when I was a kid surfing right after a hurricane, which was stupid. But, you know, I put myself back in that situation. And that moment from that book, that's not you can't get that watching a movie. Right. There's no way you get that watching a movie. You only get that reading a book because you just put yourself you just you, you put yourself right into that moment. So that, that's really the one important moment reading a book for me. Wow, you brought back, uh, yeah, I'm getting a little bit of uh, tingles in my arms of memory for me too because same thing reading that book. I grew up surfing. I was a surfer and I was out one day on a very big day at Black's Beach down in Southern California near where I, well, La Jolla where I grew up and uh, ended up getting held down a lot longer than I ever thought. And I'm like, I what's going on? I can't get out of here. My face was in the sand. It was pitch black. And you get to that point where you start seeing stars and stuff and you're thinking, I got a long way to go up. Am I going to make it? And that part of the book, yeah, I remember that. I had to stop and go, whoa, <laughs> I remember yeah. that. That's a bad feeling. Yeah. So you grew up doing some surfing. That's cool. I did. And that one time, we right after Hurricane Andrew, they put the bridge down and we were the first ones over the bridge. Well, what we didn't, what we didn't realize is that the sea level was still much higher than it was before. So we paddled out, and it was the first wave that I caught. The wave the wave came over, but what, the water had been washing up on the beach and bouncing off of the beach and coming out. Oh, so when I caught my wash. wave, another one came down. I get pinned down to the bottom. So like you said, I got my face in the sand. So I finally, the leash hit me. So I grabbed the leash, and I start pulling on the leash to help me pull, pull me up. The board hits me in the back of, of the course, head. Of course, yeah. And my face is still in the sand. I'm like, oh, I'm in trouble here. Yeah. And uh, So that fun. was a close one, and that was maybe the end of my surfing career. But <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah, it'll scare you, that's for yeah. sure. So let's go on the ultimate drive. I'm going to enable you to pick any car in the world. I'm going to park it in your garage. You can drive it anywhere. And here's the fun part. You can take anybody with you that you'd like, even somebody from the past who's not with us anymore. So what am I going to have to uh, park in your garage today? Well, as I was saying before, the drive is more important than the car. And in this instance, the guest is more important than the car as well. So the guest would almost certainly have to be the rock. Dwayne The Rock Johnson. <laughs> okay. We joke in my house that he's the answer to every question we have. You know, who's your favorite this? It's The Rock. Who yeah, do you right. want for this? It's The Rock. I love The Rock. The Rock, I think, is a great guy. So to fit him in a car comfortably, <laughs> to have a nice conversation, we're probably going to have to have something big. So I'm thinking maybe one of those big, powerful Bentleys, one of those cool Bentleys, lots of horsepower. And um, me and The Rock out cruising around for a while. Or maybe that square body Chevy. That'd be pretty cool. That'd be a fun day. You know, cruising down the beach with The Rock. But yeah, he's, I think he'd be a blast to talk to and have some amazing life stories. You know, he seems like just a, I've never met him, but it seems like a genuinely nice guy. And, you know, they always say, don't meet your heroes because sometimes or most of the time they'll let you down. But I, I happened upon a movie and I didn't finish it because it was so terrible uh, that he was in early in his career uh, the other night. I was just trying to look for something to, to watch and I'm like, 
wait, he had hair on his head and he, he was kind of playing a goofy guy. And I'm like, this is interesting. But you look at his career and wrestling and how he's evolved as a person and into an actor and become a superstar actor. But he always comes across, even when he's a big tough guy, as a kind hearted person, you know, like a gentle giant in a way. Yeah, he's got some videos on his social media of him singing with his daughter and having little tea parties with her and getting his nails painted. And, <laughs> I mean, I I just see him a lot like just an everyday kind of guy, someone I'd want to hang out with. Yeah, well, it'd be nice. Yeah, cruising in a Bentley. Those things are awesome. Uh, yeah, the new Bentleys. I got to go on the track. Rolls Royce and Bentley invited me to come and drive cars on the racetrack. And I thought, well, why do I want to do that? I was blown away by the performance, the brakes. On those giant heavy cars, I couldn't believe it. I mean, I walked away from that day going, whoa, especially the Bentley. I mean, the Rolls was cool too, but the Bentley was that, always what it has been, kind of like the Rolls gone on to racing steroids. Yeah, for sure. They're they're very cool. Watching them race a few years ago oh. back at World Challenge, that was awesome. Yeah, it's like unimaginable. Well, you've taken us on a wonderful a lap or two around the track today, Brad. This has been great fun. I'm so glad that we connected. Uh, I want to do a shout out to Haley Jordan at Sunday Management for connecting us. Haley, thank you so very much. What's a great success quote, mantra, or some words of inspiration you could leave us with today? I would say create an opportunity to do what you love. So whether that means finding a career that's going to give you the opportunity to follow your passion, whatever it is, do that. And, um, but don't let it slide by. You know, I, I could have gone the rest of my life without racing and I probably would have regretted it as an old man. So I'm glad that I took this opportunity. So it's the, what I tell my kids all the time is find something you love, create an opportunity to do it at some point in your life. So important. How can people learn more about round three racing? Well, we got a website, round three and uh, and on all the social channels, Instagram, Facebook, Twitter, we're uh, at Round Three Racing. And uh, or you can come to a WRL event. Come to one of the World Racing League events. We're pretty much at every single one of them. And uh, we got four cars and lots of drivers and lots of crew. So come on over and introduce yourself. And love to have you. You know, I always tell people go to a race, even if you aren't that much into racing. Being there live is so different. My wife has never really been that much into cars. She's always supported my habitual habit of cars and when I race vintage cars. But I took her to a race way back when we lived in Del Mar, California. The IMSA GTP cars ran at the Del Mar Fairgrounds. And it was you could hear the cars from our house. And we went, I said, just come with me, you know. And she's like, this is fun. This is so cool. I can feel them in my chest as they go by, you know, the vibrations of the cars. And so, yeah, I would encourage people, go to a race. Same with drag racing. You know, you say, ah, drag racing, boring. Go to a, a drag race sometime. It'll blow you away. And also, how can people learn more about American Equipment Company? I can go to amico.net. Probably not the most exciting website, but if you like trains and you like railroad equipment, come check us out. And we, yeah, we've got the, the LinkedIn page, and I think we've got a Facebook page as well, American Equipment Company, Amico, A-M-E-C-O. And if you find the wrong one, if you find Amico.com, that's a multi-billion dollar company. So I'm, I'm be happy, to, happy to be confused for those guys, but that's the other Amico. <laughs> the other one. We're older than them, so we got to keep the name. So <laughs> There you go. I love it. Well, Brad, thanks for being so generous today with your time and sharing your story. This has been a great, great fun talking with you. Until you and I talk again, I hope to see you down the road at a race someday. Thank you, Mark. I appreciate it. You're welcome. Thank you so much for joining us on today's ride here at Cars Yeah. Drive on over to CarsYeah.com to find show notes and inspiring automotive fun. Download your free copy of Filler Up 
a fun book filled with gorgeous photographs of fuel filler fun, including quotes from more inspiring automotive enthusiasts. Download your copy today, and we'll see you next time on Cars Yeah!